and welcome back to another episode of Free the Geek FM. In this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with the very sagely, the very knowledgeable Mr. Rob Allen. Well, hello, g'day, and welcome, as I said before, to another episode of Free the Geek FM. In this episode, just to reiterate my excitement, I'm just really excited because I get to have a chat with Rob Allen. I have worked with Rob previously. I've known Rob online for, whew, I wish he was here to correct me or to inform me. For some time, I'll just say some time, I have been a long-time reader of his blog and I've watched his tweets and... And in a sort of a, what would you say, a standoff kind of, an arm's length kind of way, he's he's been one of my, I'd like to consider my select group of mentors, someone who has helped guide me, helped help me progress myself, how to help me sort of grow myself from, from a time just a little while ago when, in effect, I considered that I sort of reset my career, I sort of restarted it. I, I've been working in as a software developer for, wow, I think I... I think actually it's going on about 16 plus years now. But anyway, I, I think I said in, in, in a previous episode or two that I kind of considered a lot of that time was quite wasteful. And so I decided to reset and say, okay, well, from now I'm going to get in and, and read all the classic texts or reread the ones that I've already read, uh, actively get in there and learn the best things I can as, as quickly as possible on an ongoing basis. And I looked around during that sort of formative time for the people who I felt were really, they, they really had their, their stuff together. They were really knowledgeable. They were really cluey. And I don't mean that in just respect to software development, uh, sort of specifically in terms of code, like code patterns and so on, but also with respect to knowledge in sort of broader areas, you know, how to, con- how to balance the needs of a business against the needs of the code and so on and so forth. And Rob was one of the people who, for me, was an absolute standout. Now, R- Rob is a lovely gentleman. Uh, I-, I find he's, he- he's not the one, at least in my experience, correct me if I'm wrong, If I'm wrong, Rob, to sort of get out there and say, you know, I am a legend, I'm wonderful. So I hope he doesn't feel that I am being sort of, um, is it immodest or uh, flattering in, in, in my praise here. I mean it all quite genuinely. He's been a a great source of inspiration and a great guide for me. And why I'm I'm really keen uh, to have had him on the show is is for a lot of those reasons, and that he sort of that he has sort of so much knowledge to share. More in the as as he'll testify to in the fireside chat in in a, in a little while. That not looking sort of directly into the code, but considering the code as as a part or a piece of the greater whole. So, you know, the code is a, um, can oftentimes be the foundation of a service or the service that a business provides. But it's not the only thing. And, and to think, well, the code has to be beautiful at all costs. It has to be perfect and future-proof and scalable both horizontally and vertically. And, and that's the most important thing. He, as he well says, is no, not only. You know, there are other concerns to balance and to weigh up you know, as a developer. And so I'm really glad that we got onto that section of our conversation. And I'm really hoping you, you listen out for that section. It's, it's sort of toward the, it's in like the latter third, latter quarter of the, of the chat. The other thing we talk about is Rob is, uh, I think he's the lead. I, I think he was the lead off the top of my head. I'm sorry. I just don't remember on the Slim 3 project, which is the latest version, latest and greatest version of Slim, which is I'd like to think of it as the, would I being sort of dis, uh, dishonest to say the best micro framework for PHP around? It's that one which is, you can be sort of really quick in how you develop with it because it doesn't force you down any particular paths. Um, you can be very creative because it doesn't, doesn't force you down any paths. It's also very light in that it has what I think Marco Pavetta and, and Gary Hocken would say is, all that is actually strictly necessary in a framework and it doesn't have anything else in it. And so it was interesting to hear uh, Rob's feedback and and thoughts on the project as a whole, sort of how it's grown, what it's like to be a project lead on such a public-facing and, and such a publicly uh, well-used open-source project. So definitely 
keep a listen out for that. And yeah, and that's basically about it. So that's my big plug for the Fireside Chat in terms of what's happening at the moment. The podcast is still going great. I'm really excited that we're here yet again, uh, keeping the the two-week rhythm, the fortnight fortnightly rhythm. That's really good. I hope that the quality of the podcast is staying at the level that I want it to be at. The studio, the office, the home office, the room upstairs, if you will, I think is is continuing to, to sort of uh, continuing to evolve, continuing to iterate. So I hope that you sort of hear that in in the quality of the podcast. Um, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just it, this is my baby. I love making it, and I'm I'm really sort of pedantic about making sure that the quality is what it is, and that it continues to grow and and gives you the best you can. Anyway, I've gone on at length. Thank you very much for listening to me. And now, my fireside chat with the sagely Rob Allen, and I will see you afterwards. All right, well, let's kick off with, I saw your tweet that Slim 3.2.0 was recently released. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Yeah. Really so, pleased about it. So when did, when did you, I guess we'll come back to that, that release, but when did you take over, you're the, the lead on the project now, or co-lead? Um, I'm one of the co-maintainers, so there are three of us that are co-maintainers of Slim Framework. Mm. So there's Josh Lockhart, who mm-hmm. originated the project, um, Andrew Smith, who's silent works on um, IRC and Twitter and GitHub and whatnot, and then myself. I came on sometime during the three cycle. So mm-hmm. two was already out. They started work on 3.0, and I was interested in the way the DI was working. So Josh asked me if I was interested in helping out. I said yes, because um, it's interesting. And obviously I've got too much to do, so taking another commitment seemed like a good idea at the time, (laughs) as it does. Um, Mm. And I I do have opinions on this stuff, so if you have opinions and you want to voice them, then you should step up and just stop sniping from the sidelines. Sitting in the peanut gallery. Yeah, basically, I think. You know, if you can help out, you should, um, particularly when you do use it. So I've got some clients using Slim, mm-hmm. and I've learnt from that. And there are certainly some niches where Slim works really, really well, particularly in the API space. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I joined the core team to help out getting 3.0 out. Uh, so what's it, what's it yeah. been like? And... and um what sort of what's it been like, sort of going from the like say sitting in the proverbial peanut gallery to to being um, such a I guess it's fair to say such a central part to the project? You have to care a lot more. Um, changes that get made to the project matter um, to a lot of people, mm. and the biggest thing is that you can't just change stuff because it's a good idea. You have to change stuff because it will materially improve the project and have negligible downsides for people already using the project. Okay, um, what, what's like materially improving? Like, what, what, what do you mean exactly? Um, good question, right? So if you take Slim 3, Slim 3 uses PSR 7 uh, mm-hmm. request responses over um, Slim 2, which has its own homegrown request response objects. As a result of that change, everyone had to learn... Um, immutability because PSR7 mm. is immutable mm-hmm. um, everyone had to learn how to deal with request responses differently we think that's a significant improvement we, we think the PSR7 is a key interoperability standard for PHP in general I think it will make a big difference to the way we build applications going forwards so that's important so as a result putting PSR7 into Slim 3 is a really good idea but now we've created an awful lot of support. So we get a lot of support um, issues raised by Slim 2 users who are transitioning to Slim 3. Uh-huh. And none of the way they are used to dealing with request and response objects work anymore. Uh, so okay. there's a whole load of issues around that. And that one's obviously a clear win. Once we get to 3.0 being released, which it was released last December, we now can't break backwards compatibility. But we've identified some things in Slim 3 that we really want to change. But we can't. Oh, yeah. We would like to change them, 
And if we didn't care about semantic versioning, or if we didn't care about you know, going to Slim 4 two months after we've released Slim 3, we could do something <laughs> about it. Right. But that's too much instability in a project used by lots and lots of people. So okay. we have design decisions in Slim 3 that we think we could improve upon, but we can't do that yet. So they're sort of sitting on the back burner waiting. Uh, okay, so progressively over the course of time, it evolves um, into what you want it to be. Correct, yes. Uh, whereas when you sit in outside of the core project, you can just look at it and say, yeah, that's a stupid decision. They should just go and change that. But we can't when we're inside the project because we've got people depending on our code. That reminds me a lot of a, a conversation I had with a person I worked with years ago. And he, I, th- I think he was feeling sort of really sort of beaten because everybody was critiquing what they thought were really bad decisions. Mm. But he said, look, he said, it's easy to sit outside and say, oh, I wouldn't have done that or I would have done that differently. He said, but you weren't under the constraints that we were. Yes. Yeah, we had to make the decisions that we made with uh, the circumstances that were in play at the time. Correct. Now, if you had have understood what we understood, you probably would have gone, okay, well, I might not have done it, but at least I understand. Without that knowledge, it's like you're just looking at an implementation mm. and saying, hmm, that seems strange. That's very true as well. So I kind of, I yeah, yeah I, I get the point from the different perspectives. Yeah, it's good. Um, you know, as I said, I like Slim 3. I'm happy with where it's going. I think it is a really nice improvement over Slim 2. Mm-hmm. Is is the like the, the PSI seven implementation the the primary gain, or there is like a, a series of other things that that make it a lot better as well? Um, yeah, there's a number of things. The PSI seven thing is nice. The better integration of dependency injection uh, with the pinball container is nice. Uh, the router in Slim three is fast root. That's a nice router, so I like that a lot. General structure is a little bit more consistent. It's easier to do lazy loading of controllers in Slim 3. So there's sort of a bunch of nice improvements in there. Um, okay. The whole PSR 7 middleware thing, I like a lot. I think that really is good. I must say you're selling me on it really well here. <laughs> That's good. Um, yeah, it's good. I, I like it, as I say. Slim 3.2, that's what it's just come out. Yep. Very, very small changes. What I've quite liked about 3.1 and 3.2 is that we've done very little in comparison so slim 3.2 for instance has had 16 prs compared to mm-hmm. 3.1 so it's not a big big change there's a couple of really nice things in there and they're related to error handling mm-hmm. so we now support um php 7 errors in our error handler oh. as well as just exceptions that's one of the nice things about php 7 is that you can now catch engine level errors in the same way that you can catch exceptions Oh, yeah, that's, that's right, yep. That's quite cool. Mm. Um, but obviously, PHP, uh, sorry, uh, Slim 3 was only catching PHP exceptions. We weren't catching PHP 7 errors. So they were behaving inconsistently when you ran on PHP 7. So we've resolved that now. So that was a nice yeah. little change. Nice. Um, sounds good. The other big one, well, it's not big, but the other nice little change we've made is that by default, when the error handler kicks in, it doesn't display the details of what the error is because obviously that's an information leak if you're on a live server. Mm-hmm. So you have to turn a setting on to see the actual error and then it will display the error, the stack trace, the code lines, everything you need to know. Mm-hmm. The problem is if you don't turn that on and you don't, it's not on out of the box, when you get an error, all you see is this white page saying something's gone wrong. <laughs> that's not very helpful so what we've done with uh, 3.2 mm. is that we now write the error that did occur to the error log. So if you go and look in your PHP error log, you'll see the actual error now. So we actually make it visible to some, no, to somewhere where a PHP developer should probably look. Oh, that's interesting. So, so, you, about that. so you're kind of getting the best of both worlds there. Yes, I think so. Oh, uh, nice. I wish I'm more su- things did that. I'm just kind of surprised it took us this long to notice that we really should have done this before. Uh, it happens. I mean, you know, sometimes you can sort of get get too close to the metal or, or mm. too close to the grain or whatever the term is. Yeah, well, you said, yeah, you're too close to it, aren't you? Because I know that I need to turn that setting on, so I turn it on whenever I start a project in dev mode. As opposed to coming to something from scratch and... And correct, and uh, nobody reads the documentation. Well, like, you know, we all pay lip service to it. But. Yeah, no, but nobody reads the documentation. 
you know, we, we all run Composer Create project and get going. Stop, there you go. And, and Slim is good enough that you can get going from the skeleton. Until, you, can, until you need the errors, of course. <laughs> um, so, so where's it? Where do you sort of? Um, I guess you've internally got a roadmap for it. Not particularly. Um, oh, no, okay. we've literally only just released three, so we're trying not to think too hard about four yet. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of letting it bed down, find out what users are using three for, where the pain points of three are that are causing the most problems, and then from that we'll then look at where we want to go forwards. Oh, interesting. Um, segwaying ever so slightly, because you do like a lot of Zen framework stuff as well. I do. Um, if you were to compare, say, Slim 3 to Zen Expressive, mm-hmm. would you say they're largely comparable or sort of different, um, they sort of fit a different, uh, fit, fulfill different needs? Um, they're very similar in a lot of ways. Uh, the, the, this is one of the advantages of PSR 7 in some ways, because the Midwest Images first. Um, expressive or well strategility which expressive builds upon mm-hmm. and um, what we use in slim are very very similar they're the same so you can write middleware for expressive and use it in slim and vice versa which is really really handy so they look very similar as projects I think expressive tends to have a more um, I don't know what the right phrase is um it's, it's more aimed for maybe design correctness in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot more configuration in terms of the way you build up your middleware than, say, the way we do it in Slim. It's designed f- against um, design patterns far more than maybe Slim is. It's just aimed at a slightly different market, I suspect. It's aimed at people who are using some Framework 2 at the moment more... Um, long-term projects maybe more bigger projects maybe Whereas okay. I tend to think that slim fits better when you're sort of closer to the to a deliverable maybe it's a bit smaller a bit smaller of a project it I don't know um, I'm not explaining this very well I feel it, I oh, tend no, to use slim no. in the smaller projects where I need to get something going and my developers are not necessarily so well versed in um, architecture and design structures mm-hmm. I haven't used Expressive on a project yet mm-hmm. myself um, I'm overseeing the project that's using Expressive but I've not actually coded against it yet okay. so I haven't actually got a feel for what it what it's like to use um, but you know as an example of the differences in the root callable in Slim, i.e. the middleware that executes once you've dispatched to a given route, dollar this is bound to that closure, which and it's the service, um, it's the service locator, it's a DI container. Mm-hmm. So in your route callable, you can directly retrieve, say, your mapper from the service container in order to retrieve the data in order to return the request. In Expressive, mm-hmm. The container is not automatically bound. You have to no. do that yourself manually, yep. because it would be better, as in more correct, for some definition of correctness, to write a action class and then inject the mapper into the control into the constructor of the action class. And whilst you can do that in Slim, we don't push you that way. Okay. Slim is far more freeform. You, know, you can build the app the way you want to build it. Expressive feels a little bit more structured. Yeah, that was a long ramble to get to the point that I wanted to make, actually. That's all right. That, that's the difference between them. I, I definitely sort of have to agree in that there was one point. I've got a, a project, um, I would say, like on the side, that is using Expressive. And it was my first large hands-on um, introduction to, to Expressive. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll say, overall, in summary, I like Expressive and I enjoy using it with a caveat or with a but, sorry, with a qualification, that I, I think it's that you have to do, th- yeah, as you say, you have to do things correct. You have to do things in the quote, you know, air quotes here, right way. Um, and that, I think that there's upsides and downsides to that. Like in one perspective, 
yeah, you have all like this, uh, things are nicely, if done well, decoupled. And you yep. can test all the bits and test them in the various testing types. And that was good, but I had, there was one point I thought, okay, I've got all these classes. Mm-hmm. Now I need to run them. And okay. So you now, and yeah, they're all tested and it's all great. Well, I was feeling good. Now you need to bind them all together. And it's like, oh, you know, like, excuse me, French, bloody hell. But you had to bind all these things together. And I'm like, oh, and I think it was, it was okay. But I thought, this seems like so much work. Yeah, and, and I, I think that structure, that structure will help um, a lot on larger projects. Mm. So when you've got a team of, you know, 20 developers working on the application, say, mm-hmm. um, or suite of applications probably at that stage, Mm-hmm. And then you've got d- different levels of experience, maybe. Mm-hmm. Then that level of structure can help a lot in terms of maintaining the project over the long term. Mm-hmm. Um, but equally, that level of structure can also be a hindrance for getting going or for delivering what you need to deliver today. Yeah, I... It's I, I, one half dozen the other. <laughs> definitely is. I... I and this, is, and this is a question I'm still kind of not wrangling with, but wondering about. Um, is that was it, or, or is it like I, I felt it was the case in Zen Framework too, like a lack of kind of documentation to 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 the or documentation from the right angle, and an angle I I'm struggling to qualify, or was it kind of like sort of my lack of of um, pattern knowledge and experience in that. The way I was going about it was a really long way and quite valid, but long. Mm. I think I talked to Marco Pavetta or Gary, and he said, "No, no, no, no." Like you know, in that case, look at maybe like an abstract factory and stuff like this. Yes. So then you can say, okay, well, they're all pretty much the same signature. You know, mm-hmm. pass in the um, function argument that differentiates them, and then you know you can then all of a sudden you're you still have say separate classes or yeah you, know, you still have a decoupling and, and good design. But then construction is a whole lot easier. So yes, and that only comes with experience. Yeah, and as you say, the docs are helping you along those routes. I don't know. Um, incidentally, send service manager really nice GI container. Mm. So I yeah. do I do like that bit of send framework really much. One of mm-hmm. my favourite components in the entire thing. Okay. I like the enthusiasm in the voice. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's just it's just really good. It works really well. It's really quick now in version three as well. Can't really go wrong putting Service Manager in this your DI container in pretty much any project. Well, I noticed that it yeah, it just worked really really well. Um, I admit I've been meaning to experiment more with because what in the, the 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 skeleton app for Expressive it gives you the options of what is it Aura? Is it, yeah. is it the Aura DI? Yeah, Aura DI and probably Pimples the other one. I think so. Yeah, I mean I. I don't mind Pimple. I've been meaning to kind of experiment with Aura, but in, in this one, I thought, well, I'll go with what I know and maybe come back to it later. This isn't any negative reflection or connotation <laughs> towards Aura. Um, actually, whilst we're on that, I'll segue again, if I may. And Because you, you said there that that difference between Expressive and Slim was more on the less structured or, or less kind of you have to do things the quote-unquote right way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that can be a good thing. You know, that's, that can, you know there's, there's pros and cons in that. I was having a chat in the last episode with Joe Ferguson um, about like that, that Laravel aspect. Right, yeah. Where, and specifically, I think there was a, I remember there was a conversation I listened to with Jeffrey Way on Twitter. And... I'll, 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 I'll say this slowly so that I think my word's through. Um, in that, my, my impression was that he had, he's gotten grief perhaps for the, for the view that he's taken. And he seems to really be pushing a point about, you know, my impression is that um, patents or, you know, so certain kinds of patents can be just like very academic very, um, you know, people say that it's the right way to do it, so you have to do all these right things. Mm-hmm. But that's um, what the antithesis of sort of getting something done, getting it out the door. What do you, 
What, what do you kind of think about that kind of that that to and fro, that that pull and that yeah. sort of pulling in both directions? There's a good article by Joel um, Joel on Joel, Joel from Joel on Software. I uh-huh. can't pronounce his surname. Spolsky. Spolsky. That's it. Um, about what he calls architecture astronauts, mm-hmm. um, which really plays into this basic problem or um, thing that goes on. At the end of the day, you do need to deliver, and you need to deliver within the abilities of your developers. Mm-hmm. And there is a risk that if you do pick the wrong approach at the architecture level, your developers cannot deliver that architecture because they don't have the skill set or mm-hmm. the time available. Um, traditionally, startups are the obvious case where this happens because they've got a limited amount of time more than anything else money is rarely the problem after you've got your seed funding but you Mm -hmm. do need to be quick on your feet to get your features delivered to your users so you can gain the traction so that you become the leading thing in your market so that you can get bought (laughs) and the whole thing around that is time to market on pretty much everything and Mm -hmm. you don't have time to do the best architecture ever it's just not possible um, and there are other app, there are other apps and markets where you again you don't necessarily need the best architecture possible. Mm. Um, you're writing some apps that are one-offs. They're a good example where you don't necessarily need the best architecture. Mm. Um, you know, I wrote an app that did the data migration from one system to another system. We used it once and chucked it away. Yeah. Right. There's not a lot of benefit in having written that to the best possible um, design pattern solution. Totally agree. But then you've got other apps which last for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, where good architecture at the beginning solves a lot of problems later. <laughs> um, or could and have. you kind of wish you had them in place. And yeah. One of, the, one of our clients at the moment is refactoring their big application from a less well-architected design to a better architected design mm-hmm. because they've now got lots of teams working on it. They've now know where they're going. It's a profitable system. It's making the money. They know where it's going. They can imagine the future for the next 10 years, 15 years. Mm. They would like their app to be fit for purpose in 2022. So putting in place good architecture with um, those architectural design patterns that do seem like they're quite long-winded starts making a lot more sense when you realise that this code is going to be worked on by people that we've not even hired yet. Mm-hmm. And all the people currently building it will not necessarily be at the company when those people are maintaining the application. Yeah. So we need that structure. We need that the time spent doing good architecture now so that we've got the long life in the product in the future. But it's hard to say, you know, and this isn't, on, hand on heart, this isn't picking on Jeffrey. Just mm-hmm. take, take, for example, you had LaraCast, right? Yep. And if I read his, um, if I've read the right posts and stuff correctly, he said he took, he, he largely took a punt that he, he felt that that's the way the wind was blowing. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, okay, I've gotten a lot of feedback from people and, and, and so on and so forth. That yep. kind of stereotype due diligence. <clears throat> So, you know, he's gone and he's made, <clears throat> man, okay, there we go. He's, you know, built the site and I, it's a true labor of love from all I can see um, and really invested a lot into that and made it something, something pretty special. I mean, hats off to him for that. Mm. Um, but you'd still have, you'd, you'd have to be either uncertain because you go, well, I think this is, or I'm pretty sure it's going to work out based on my feelings and reflections or you're moving into kind of hubristic arrogance to go, of course this will work. Yeah. I'll, you know, I'll assume the former. You know, but, you, but that's kind of, that's something which I feel is you're perhaps in a bind because on one hand you go, I reckon this could be good, um, so I'll invest enough in it to make something worthwhile. But then if it flops, you don't want to kind of bet the farm and, and you know, invest like months to go, okay, I've got 10 episodes and it just didn't pan out if you're in that mm-hmm. kind of position i think i know i just feel it can be tough to say well where where do i line you know what 
is the right architecture and what's acceptable and what's not. Yes, yeah, so I would go. I would lend, lean rather, more towards simpler. In those sort of scenarios, I mean the mm-hmm. the canonical example of this is Twitter, of course. Mm. So Twitter started out with a Ruby on Rails application, um, which got them off the ground, proved the concept, got them enough users that the system was never up. Or at least it felt like it at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, it was always going down, um, you know, to the point where the fail whale became a meme in and of itself. <laughs> And yeah. they completely refactored and rewrote and re-architected their entire application on the fly into what it is now, which is a remarkably stable and um, secure system. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it works remarkably well. It's quite mm-hmm. performant. It doesn't go down anymore. It's the number of tweets it handles now at, say, during the Super Bowl is enormous. Mm-hmm. The amount it will handle over the US election is ridiculously big too, and it works really well. But yeah. they didn't write an app that could handle that number of tweets when they started out. Mm-hmm. And I think that's not an unreasonable way to go. So you, you kind of pick a sweet spot that fits the way you think. So how much architecture do I want to put into this version of the app that I think it will be in a good enough state to hit my goals for the foreseeable future? Well, so you, Yeah, sorry. Yeah, so you can't plan for the outliers yeah. yeah i guess it's really hard because you what you i'd assume you have to have enough experience to say okay well we'll do it like this and what and leave avenues open yes exactly and something like laravel of course gives you some structure before you start mm-hmm. so there's a certain amount of if you start with something like laravel you've got a this is the places i put my code kind of determined for you yeah um zen framework has the same thing symphony has the same thing cake has the same thing so you mm-hmm. kind of get the, a minimum viable, viable level of organisation for you free of charge. And that can be a good thing. Which to can keep be you, a good thing. Uh, yeah, to keep you, keep you structured. Correct. If you don't need that structure or you don't think that structure is where you want to be going, then something like Slim works better for you. I, it doesn't uh, yeah. enforce the structure at all. I admit I liked... Um, when I started doing my, I, I took the approach that you just suggested when I started doing the podcast site itself, because, okay, partly I wanted to learn Slim. Um, something about it just, I don't know, I liked it because I've been doing what, Zen Framework 1 and 2 and Symphony and stuff, mm. and all these massive, at least as they were at the time, um, kitchen sink frameworks. And I looked at Slim and I remembered, I think it was Gary Hocken and Marco Pavetta were saying, what should be in a framework and what shouldn't be? And using Slim, Slim kind of, I understood their perspective much better. But I remember thinking, well, I don't know if, if the, the key factor I thought could be a problem was probably going to be me. You know, would I do five episodes and then, oh, yeah, I'll do it again later. Mm-hmm. And so would I stick with it? Would it turn into something? Um, how much time should I invest in, you know, like full-time job and those things? Yep. But it... it I think the the simplicity of Slim and that sort of freeform nature, though I did kind of lend from Zen Framework and, and the Laravel structure a bit, turned out really well in that, you know, you kind of weren't bound in, in like an expressive way that you sort of had to do certain things. You could kind of, okay, I'm going to do this and we'll just get it running and I can perhaps refactor it later. Um, and it had like that light touch kind of, um, a, 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 what would you say? A quite flexible, quite sort of nimble in in how I know how it's constructed. Mm-hmm. That it just seemed to work really well, and you could say, okay, well, I've gotten that running. Now I'll add on this, and now I'll add on that. It, I didn't sort of feel forced down the path of I have to do all these things just to get that. Yes, and that was really good. And and for what it is, it's it's turned out really well. Though I, it is on two which I have to, well, have to, I would like to uh, migrate to three. The middleware in two, testing that was interesting. Yes, I can imagine. It's much easier <laughs> to test it in three. I'm really looking forward to it partly for that reason. And that's but, part, of, part of the learning experience as well. Three is much more testable than two was. Yeah. Just, because, just the nature of how more decoupled everything is. Okay. Which is always good. 
So I don't know. It's 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 been. I I, I like that freeformness, but having said that, I'll, I'll put the qualifier of I like the freeformness based on I guess enough experience to say okay, I wouldn't do that for this reason. You yeah. know, kind of that 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 or the swings and roundabouts. Now you are responsible for your own um, domain model though as well, and you're responsible for the architecture of your application. One of the things about Slim is that it doesn't dictate any architecture whatsoever so you have to come up with one and mm -hmm. that's easier if you have some experience mm -hmm. you've got someone to ask advice of <laughs> to a certain extent because mm -hmm. um, it's very easy just to create a file called model or directory called model and stick all your stuff in there and hope it's good enough and not think about the separation of that side of your application ouch <laughs> Is that is that why I found askacrobat.com? I swear I was just I found it the other day. <laughs> kind of, you know. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of what I do. It's part and parcel of you know, my day job if you like. Okay. Is advising companies on how to structure, how to design, how to architect the difficult bits of their apps. Which I feel <laughs> most of the frameworks don't help you with too much. Even the big ones, like it takes on like some framework, for instance. That gives you a lot of help for structuring your controllers and your dispatch system and your view system, mm -hmm. and then leaves you on your own for handling your business life. Yeah, it's, I I remember this conversation's come up uh, at least a, a good handful of times. And by the way, I just did a who are, who is on askacrobat.com. It's free. <laughs> it would be. <laughs> um, and you know, they, they give you that. You know, here's everything done around modern patterns. Um, you know, sort of really well designed and, and tested around modern patterns but when it comes to the model well quote unquote every application is different so we're mm -hmm. not going to force anything on you Yes, and I, I get that and I appreciate the logic in that but I like where other things such as I think it was oh name escapes me but I can see the logo on my head I'll, I'll put in uh, Laravel it's the, the Yi framework that's the one alright Yi and Laravel, and I'm guessing there's others, I think also Falcon do, you know, allow you to say, okay, now I want to, um, I'm going to sort of auto-generate a series of models and controllers and all that sort of mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, it is around a certain application type, but at least there's an aspect of tooling there. Oh, yes, completely. And, and it'd that's, be really, of course, why they're so popular. Well, it'd be really nice in a, in a like a Zen framework aspect. You know, as I said, I, I get the logic, I get the reasons why they don't do it. But that that next step along, just to kind of, take away a bit more um, drudgery, if you will, mm. it'd be nice. Yeah, probably. Just yeah, put it, it out. I think it kind of depends on the type of apps you build as well, to a certain extent. Mm. Mine tend to be slightly more esoteric nowadays okay. than anything else. Um, I don't know if I just fell into this or what. But it's not uncommon for my persistence layer to be an API on some other computer now. Okay. Um, something like a standard doctrine system doesn't particularly help me for a lot of my apps. Mm. And so I don't necessarily look for that sort of things. Um, I'm still looking to separate out my persistence layer from my um, business logic. And business logic is a horrible word, but it's the best I can come up with. Because I'm used to the fact that my the my persistence layer is likely to change and likely to be something weird. Okay. So I tend to architect my own um, model anyway, or model layer, due to the okay. type of apps I build. But then I do appreciate that there are an awful lot of apps out there that do just need a database as their main um, persistence layer. And then it's helpful to be able to just plug it in in a standardized way. Well, it's, it's that... That question, right? Of I, I, on an app, um, on a, on a application I was I was working on oh God, years ago. It was it was this interesting contrast. On one hand, and those listening who actually worked at the company will know what I'm talking about, but I won't name names because then I'll just get bad, dirty looks when I see them next. Um, I might edit that part out. Um, we had we had two apps. There was a cash cow of the company. And it was a it was an app that was written in a really short period of time because they had they didn't have seed money they had the the founders put up their own money, so they had a short period of time and it's like this has got to work or we've got to get something on this. Yeah. 
or we'd really like to because otherwise, you know, that's our own money. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there was an enormous sense of time pressure there and, um, and the art was developed, you know, and it, you, you could say that those time pressures were baked into it. But years later, like five odd years later, the company was turning over, I think, a couple of million pound per annum or something. Yeah. Um, I don't know exact figures. You know, based on this app, which all the developers had ever worked on it. I was lucky. I went to this other project, said, oh, you know, there's this wrong, this is wrong with it. And, and why didn't they do it this way mm-hmm. and stuff? But it was, it, was, it was employing, oh, man, I don't know how many people in across five countries. Yep. I really like apps like that. I think they're really big success stories. Mm. Um, they're big balls of mud, invariably. Yeah. Nobody likes them <laughs> in a lot of ways. The, devel- the developers don't like them because they've not been architected correctly and whatnot. But you've got an app that's making lots of money, is proved to be successful, is solving a real need for real customers. Mm. And that's what we do it for. That's why we write this software stuff. We write it to solve real problems for real people. If we can make money along the way, that's even better. So I quite like those sort of apps. Um, I also like then helping them being refactored to be more sustainable in the long term. And I think that's a really good time to worry about your architecture. I mean, it's nice to get it right up front if you can and you can predict the future. But a lot of people can't predict the future. And if you've now got a successful app, it is worth investing in your successful app because you've got a history that says, we make money from this app. Now Maybe, we can think, yeah. yeah, we can do something. We can re-architecture this. We can refactor it. We just have to resist rewriting it from scratch. <laughs> Maybe we should, we should sort of have this as, as the, the, the final, the, the remaining theme for, for the chat. Because it's something that I'd never gotten to this point in the discussion before. Because it's, this, is, this is, was my learning, if I remember it correctly. You, know, you, you, you come into, you learn computer science, either like school or uni, or you know, you're self-taught. Mm-hmm. And invariably, irrespective of where, you, you, know, you will start to congregate around other developers. Yep. And it comes very, very quickly that, you know, great design, great design, has to be fantastic design. And these big balls of mud, they're just bad. They're bad, yep. they're bad, they're bad. We have to do it right. And there seems to be this massive disconnect, and guilty as judged to have done it, this massive disconnect between um, actually paying, uh, you know, earning money so that you can actually sit there and do this development versus, um, you know, I should just be able to develop. Yeah. You know, because it should just be done the right way and, and irrespective of anything else. Whereas you go, well, that's great, um, but I don't know if IOUs are going to work with, you know, going down to the shops to buy groceries, to keep your lights on, to buy any monitor and stuff. But that seems to be completely irrelevant, right? And it's interesting to get the perspective that you just, yeah, you just gave. Developers tend to like to do things properly. And they mm. tend to... And I'm, I'm generalizing horribly here. Mm. They tend to disregard everything else about a given application or a given project or a given company other than the code base and writing the code and dealing with the code. Users tend to get looked at as a necessary evil more than anything else. The project yep. manager is a pain. The product owner is a nuisance because their goals are not aligned with let's just write the best code possible, write the best solution to this particular problem. Yep. Even if it takes nine months to re-architect it so we can do it perfectly. That's what developers like to do. We like to work on new stuff. We like it to be to the best of our possible design skills in neatly done or whatever mm. and there's more to it than that there's a lot more to a successful project than just the code and it's quite easy to lose sight of that as a developer it's quite easy to forget the fact that making the user happy solving the user's actual problem mm. is way more important to the company than much pretty much anything else um, and obviously we do have to think about the future to a certain extent it doesn't help if we couple things together so that we can't maintain the application. Yeah. But it's not the be-all and end-all. We do have to balance the rest of the commercial reality of where we are with the idealistic code we would like to write. It's just, it, in some ways it seems like this, what would you say, like a bittersweet irony that for, 
the, the type of person who usually comes to, well, stereotypically comes to computer science would see themselves as a very analytical, mm-hmm. I would think, very analytical, very practical, very quantitative person. Yep. Yet, the, the, sometimes the, you have this kind of dichotomy of this, uh, what would be like left brain, right brain thinking of code has to be this, has to be da, 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 da. But in, in so doing, you're, you're being very esoteric. Mm-hmm. It's like, how exactly do you have both things operating effectively at the same time? Well, that's what makes you a great programmer. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, but I tend to think more towards the business problem than I do to the code, more often mm-hmm. than not. I think that's one of the things that differentiates me, say, from a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I will tend towards caring more about the solution from the customer's point of view than I will from the solution from the code point of view. Which is why I surround myself with people who are really good coders <laughs> to ensure that we don't forget and do things correctly to the best yeah. of our ability within the other constraints. That's, I've been wondering maybe is because is it because I'm in sort of hanging around better developers or is it just because I'm approaching 40? <laughs> that's I find myself, especially on this project, uh, this side project of mine, um, for all intents and purposes, it's going well. But it's been an interesting mixture of, like, I'm the, the primary coder, okay, the only one at the moment. That might change. And there's been elements of, I want to do it this way because it's the right way. But I've kept trying to think about it from an aspect of what needs to be done. Like how far up this road do I have to go before you can say, okay, I can stop here. I'll leave myself several branches or several possibilities open. Um, Or, you know, like I I can swing back to them later, that kind of thinking as opposed to it has to be done this way. And then all the time looking at it saying, okay, you know, the, you know, whilst you're doing like that, that implementation level focus, you still get that other focus of, okay, they've sent the designs. I'd like to say big plug. They've been really good about this. Um, here's the designs and they've wanted to do that. And then you ask them, say, okay, you've asked this. If we do that, this will have the implications of A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. And, re- and really working it through with them to say, do you, you know, have you thought this through long enough um, to appreciate where this may lead you? Yep. And, then, and then try to find, um, to say, okay, if you really, really want this, we'll do it, but it will cost you X and it will take this long. Yeah, so that you know, we're we're both on the same page, and Adam Culp and I had a big yarn about this recently. You know that you know what you're getting into, and if you're happy with that, you know, and you've got the resources for that, fine, we'll do that. But otherwise, maybe you hadn't thought it through. Maybe maybe it wasn't even obvious up until you know someone else reflected that back to you. Yes. And with the mixture of all those things, I can understand. I'm, I'm really happy with where it's going because I feel that the project itself has been thought through enough to um, understand, you know, potential ramifications and implications. You know, that I feel that they've thought it through enough and I've been responsible from my end to reflect back to them, the, yeah, concerns and, and what about this or if we do it this way, you'd achieve the same effect but in a shorter period of time. Um, yeah, being aware the, of the goals at the outside is always helpful. It's part of it. It's the hallmark of a really good architecture is that mm. you've you've architected at the right level for the current project's needs mm. without closing the doors for the future. Very well said. And I think if you can do that, you, you've hit the nail on the head um, because you can't architect too far into the future because you don't know where the future's going mm. and you, you can't spend the money for that level of architecture in today's world because you don't know if you'll need it or not yet. So the knack is trying to design something today that allows to go to where we're likely to go, but, and A, doesn't close that off, and B, doesn't railroad us down that route if that proves to be wrong. And and there, in a nutshell, is why I love listening to to your advice. (laughs) Thank you. It's it's tricky. It's not easy. Um, And experience helps a lot. Mm. I mean, it's much easier to, having worked on enough, enough projects now, it's much easier to see the mistakes I was making in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because I didn't know Benny better. Now I've yeah. done all those mistakes, so I'm making whole new mistakes. <laughs> but at least I'm now thinking better about where the future looks like and how to design for today, mm. rather than only being able to design for the future, or only being able to design the perfect architecture or do no design. Finding yeah. the sweet spot in the middle, I think, is really key for a good architect. Yeah, so you, you can kind of flow both ways, but you're not, as you say, you're not bound to go one way or another. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, I think we're, we're coming close to when you have to go. Mm-hmm. So, uh, as, I, as I usually say at the, at the end of these, um, is there anything that you want to plug, promote, or get the word out about, whether it's uh, conference talks, courses, training, anything, uh, anything and everything, is, it's fair game. Well, um, obviously, I'm quite happy about Slim 3.2 being out, so I think that if you're interested in microframeworks or you're interested in PSR 7, I think Slim is a good framework to experiment with and play with I think you should do that coming up in a month or two is day camp for developers and that's looking like a really good lineup I'm speaking on it um, I should probably look up what the what the actual title of it is I don't mm-hmm. remember but day camp for developers is doing a really good one with some really good people talking about futurist future future type things that's uh, coming up modern php it's called there we go mm-hmm. so we've got stuff about php php 7 um, i'm talking about psr 7 and middleware um we're talking about generators asynchronous php so we've got some interesting things happening on day camp for developers um in a couple of months time that i think everyone should look at and see what they can get themselves a ticket for okay i might have to do that for myself yeah i recommend it be good it's gonna be a fun one all right well, as always, it was it was good having a chat. Yes, thank you for thank you for sharing everything with me. You're very welcome. So, what did you think of the fireside chat with Rob? Did you agree with his point about constraints and decisions when it comes to software and how you know software? Whilst whilst as developers, it's something that we can be quite precious of, can put a lot of pride into. You know, looking after the code isn't the only thing that's required in the aspect of, or the holistic aspect of a business. It's one part, it's an important part, but there are other decisions to be made. There are other things to think about. Would you agree? I like to think that you would. I know I do. I'll, I'll go out and let and say that I do. But anyway, I'm not trying to force an opinion um, down your throat. I hope you really got a lot out of it. I hope you really enjoyed the sagely advice that Rob had to share. And that, you know, there was a, it was a really worthwhile um, chat this time. Anyway, as I say each and every time, thank you very much for listening. If you have time, love to get a rating, whether it's just a, a four or five star on iTunes, that really helps me out. Ideally, if you've got some time, maybe a couple of sentences, you know, what you think, that way it helps me improve, helps me do better, and also helps the podcast get found in the iTunes search. If you could do that, that would be wonderful. But either way, I'll see you in a fortnight for the next episode of Free the Geek FM.